All right, we are back at the top of the program. We talked about how this is going to be kind of an all KDVS show, and uh, and one thing we like to do on this public affairs program is bring on other people who take on that responsibility of doing public affairs broadcasting at this station. And so it's my pleasure at this point to welcome the Friday at 4.30 um, program that airs here, titled provocatively Storytime with Tummy Bumper. And so I want to bring on the host of that program, Adam, a.k.a. Tummy Bumper, to talk about this. Welcome to uh, Radio Parallax, Adam. Hello out there. Now, I, I got to tell you, in, in preparing for this, I, I talked about how you came to this station. Everyone always has a story, but the, yours is a quite remarkable one. A lot of people are working here at KDVS for years to boost our signal, get a better uh, a tower to broadcast. And apparently, when we did that, we reached you up in El Dorado Hills. That's right. I found this strange station, 90.3 FM, <laughs> with uh, kids talking about music, Amy Goodman talking about the world in ways I do not hear. It was interesting, very interesting, enough for me to dream about maybe working there. So you're, you're not one of these people that's not a UC Davis student. We're proud of the fact that people are community members. I mean, I am a community member uh, <laughs> at this point in time. And so what did you do? Just come, did you drive over to Davis? Did you, did you call somebody up? How did you get uh, acquainted with, with the station itself? I finally uh, built up the nerve to uh, email someone here at KWS about openings for uh, music slots. I was looking at the schedule, and it's like, please contact programming if you're interested in DJing. Uh-huh. And I thought, hey, I'm, I'm a DJ. I could do this right now. I'll drive on over there, and I'll be their new DJ. But unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. You have to, uh, you have to go to these seminar classes and do a certain amount of volunteer hours, and then over time, they let you get on the air. So I guess you started that last, last spring, and then by summer you were on the air? Is that how it went down? It, pretty much a year ago, about this time, I started volunteering, and I, I think my first show was in the beginning of the winter quarter on at 2 a.m., four relaxing times. <laughs> well, um, you said you were a DJ, so you had some experiences. Where, where did you gain this, uh, this knowledge? Uh, pretty much everything I've done has been self-taught. There was no school for DJs, <laughs> at least none of them that would, I guess, take me. <laughs> so I, I had to teach myself, uh-huh. just listening to a lot of music. I mean, I've always felt like a DJ. Uh, I mean, I, I've made plenty of mixed CDs. Okay. We should point out you are a music person. You are, you are in, you, you've been in a band, and you're interested in music production, which is kind of what the whole show is about, I guess. Oh, I would love to be in a band. Sometimes I describe, I tell people that I'm in a band, or this is my band, but it's really a one-man band. <laughs> Me and my computer, we work together on our musical projects. I should give it a nickname, since we're so close and all. <laughs> okay. Well, we're not talking about your music show. You, we're talking about you as a public affairs host, and I guess you start out with, well, correct me if I'm wrong, you start out with one music show, volunteered for another one, you had two music shows, and then somebody said, the show before you supposed to be public affairs, but we don't have anything for the slot, and you said, hey, I can do that too. Is that about the size of it? Yeah, I love KDBS so much, I, I never want to leave. To just have <laughs> me cover everyone's show. <laughs> so, <laughs> in backing into it this way, you, uh, I guess, well, logically, I would, I would say you decided that I'm already doing a music show. Let's make a public affairs show about the production of music. I was thinking about how I could contribute something, uh, how I could help people out in the community. What I mean, what sort of knowledge I had that I could, I could, you know, help because I I didn't want it to be a show 
where I was just focusing in on myself. Which it, I mean, I am. I, I, I am. It is about me. I, I talk about the things I've been working on. But I try to use that as, like, a starting point for people, because it wasn't that long ago, you know, that I was just a guy, not a musician at all, just someone yeah. who liked music. Yeah. I wanted to do more. And uh, I am. And uh, it's not easy. Well, in essence, I'd say the word monologist comes to mind. You're, you're, gonna, you're doing a half-hour program on a weekly basis, and it's just you, so you, it's your monologue. It is. Actually, my best show was when I had a, uh, a guest with me, and it became sort of a brainstorming session, uh -huh. which became so much more productive than uh, just me asking myself questions <laughs> and then answering them. Well, I guess that's the mark of when you start to get worried about it. It's not that you talk to yourself, it's when you're answering. <laughs> it's, it's a nice back and forth I have going. Well, you, I, I'm intrigued by the fact you apparently uh, borrowed from the Amy Goodman and the good people at Democracy now their theme music. So you start out your 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 show with the same um, the same stuff musically. Yeah, well, my show used to be on right before, so I would I would always hear the introduction and even, but I don't know it's kind of a little jazzy bass line it had going in, and uh, I I started working on a remix of it just for fun, mm -hmm. and I listened to it so often I just I just wanted to be I wanted to be a part of my show. So I start off with the uh, Democracy Now! theme and let the audience know, hey, I'm not Amy Goodman. This is not Democracy Now! It's story time with Tummy Bumper. Well, let's talk about it. Tummy Bumper is your uh, stage name, as it were, and, and what is the, what's the origin of the term? No one's really asking that question. Well, well, someone was bound to sooner or later. <laughs> I guess it's about time. I was kicking around a lot of different names. Say, about four or five years ago, I was doing some online dating on a website, OkCupid, and I was talking to a girl who mentioned to me that she would she thought it'd be fun if we could bump tummies. <laughs> well, there you have it. That's the name now. I'm Tummy Bumper. And in the, in the wake of that uh, that uh, suggestion, did any tummy bumping later ensue? You don't have to answer that. It, it didn't. It okay, didn't. I'll right. be honest. It didn't happen. Sort of just a fantasy, I guess. Never happened. Fair enough. I'm intrigued by this. I have to confess, we're, we're, we're bringing you on the show to talk about this provocative thing that you do, but I have not had a chance to ever listen to it. So maybe some of our listeners who are in a, in a similar circumstance, can you recreate maybe a minute of, of what goes down on your show? Sure. So, so the theme music plays. So you're listening to Storytime, Tommy Bumper. For new listeners out there, I'd like to give you an idea of what you're going to be listening to. So this is a program, it's about me. It's about my struggles as a music producer and, and a little bit of advice that I have out there for anyone out there who, who is an aspiring musician. So uh, I found an old CD in my car. I have a lot of CDs hanging around back there that are songs that I've never really shared with uh, anyone. I, I just put them on CDs to so listen to it in my car and get an idea of what they sound like, listen to it somewhere else, and they just roll around and scratch back there. But I found one, and uh, I guess it would be the or never before released second Tummy Bumper EP, and it had a song on there. It's called Under My Butt, which which was a cover, really, of a, uh, a Little Mermaid song, Under the Sea, except I, I changed it. And I, at the time, I was so embarrassed 
having listening to it, I'm like, this is this is just ridiculous. Someone doing a cover of this and changing it to Under My Butt. It doesn't even make sense. But there's, I realize there's a merit. There's a merit to it. Even just as is, there's, there's artistic merit, and I shouldn't be afraid of that. And people out there, too, I mean, just embrace your artistic and creative side. Don't be like me. Don't be afraid, because there's, there's value to what you're doing. Maybe not in an economic sense, since it is very tough to be a, a artist or musician in this time, but there is value to it, and I would encourage everyone out there to continue with their pursuits. All right. Well, this is kind of like vaguely reminiscent, I think, of kind of what Joe Frank does. He just kind of like goes with the moment, and 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 he's also heard on KDVS. We should plug, I think, as well. Is it Saturday night, midnight, something like that. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's a, that's a tough thing to have to just kind of do that stream of consciousness. I I, I take my hat off to you. I, it's much easier with the music, you know, because it kind of has a little beat going, and when I pause, it's like I'm. I'm listening to the music and the and the audience isn't I guess you kind of appreciate the pauses because it gives you a chance to take a step back and not have to listen to someone just yell in your ear for the entire time. I just swear when you said under my butt you were playing off the Rolling Stones under my thumb, but uh, that was where I went wrong. <laughs> no, it was under the sea. It was like uh marimbas. I'm not sure what it was. Some strange electronic sounds. All right. But it was just it was comical. It peaceful though you know i i immediately dismissed it it was actually someone else in my car who told me this is great why are you hiding this all right well adam it's been it's been most interesting most um, you're doing something very different my friend and i'm i'm intending to uh, to tune in soon to see how it how it goes down and uh i'm, I'm just wondering where this is all gonna where this will all take you i suppose you are as well yeah whatever no i'm, I'm joking i'm uh i'm i'm curious too i've Things have really changed for me since I started at KWS, and uh, I guess we'll see where it goes. All right, we'll check in next quarter. We'll see where it's going. Adam, thank, thanks so much. You're welcome. We have a phone call, I understand, Ms. McMillan. Yes, we do. All right, and this is uh, this is our old friend, uh, Ron Glick? It certainly is. Well, uh, okay. Ron Glick, welcome back to Radio Parallax. Hi, Doug. <laughs> What's happening, my man? Well, I keep listening to all your stories about the JFK assassination, and I just feel like you're missing the big picture. Meaning? Well, I think that... Lyndon Johnson is the person behind uh, the assassination. And well, you're not alone. You're not alone in that. Well, it's amazing to me if pe- if people go on to YouTube or someplace and just put in Johnson assassinates Kennedy. It's like hours and hours of stuff to watch. And uh, I, I know. But some of it's not right. Like there's a video out there showing how Johnson's missing from the Alton's photo a couple seconds after the first shot rings out. But actually, 
if you look at the photo really carefully, you can see his ear. He he was still he hadn't he hadn't he had not yet dived to the floor of the car. So that that one doesn't doesn't work. But there are so many people that that come to the conclusion that Lyndon Johnson Lyndon Johnson was the person who benefited. Lyndon Johnson was the person who was in the position to cover it up. Well, even yeah, uh, with even the help of J. Yeah. Edgar Hoover, who Lyndon Johnson appoints for the rest of his life, which is. Uh, uh, unprecedented outside of the judiciary in our system. Well, that's true, and they were very close, John LBJ and Hoover, and Hoover had no love for the Kennedys, so that's another reason to be suspicious. I, I agree. Um, and actually, I'm glad you called, because when last year we did a show on this where i just come back to one of these conferences, and I had uh, our friend Steve Alexander play host of Radio Parallax, and I played the guest. Some, sometime after that, I know you called up and said, you're letting Johnson off the hook. You let him off the hook. You you didn't go there because because the physical evidence doesn't take you there. And as long as people are looking at the physical evidence, they're never going to get to Lyndon Johnson because all that physical evidence was was hidden. It was buried and it was destroyed. I mean, what happened to the car? The, the car, car was... the car got washed. <laughs> the, the, the crime scene was taken back to Washington, and then they spiffed it up. They cleaned it up. You know and. And all the people that were involved in the investigation, everybody from Arlen Specter to Bill Moyers, everybody who kept their mouth shut, prospered. How, how does that happen? Well, the guy who is behind it all is the guy who is, is Lyndon Johnson. He can make the appointments. He can make people's careers. Well, yeah, if you believe there was a conspiracy in this case, and, and I do, I gather you do, I think most of our listeners do, um, you do have to say that whoever these conspirators were, they sh they would have had to have the fix in with the main man who was going to take over, or their ass could have been grass. So yeah, again, you come back to the fact that Johnson surely had to be the, the prime suspect. Well, yes, but also over the years, how many people have, without the physical evidence, because you're never going to get the physical evidence, how many people have come to the conclusion that it was Lyndon Johnson? I mean, you can go all the way back to Jim Garrison, the district attorney in New Orleans. I'm glad you brought that up. When Jim Garrison said, like in 67, that the guy basically behind it was LBJ because he wanted the job, that, that, that kind of raised eyebrows all across the country. Well, yeah, of course. And, but how many people have come to the same conclusion? I mean, there's a film clip on YouTube of, of Richard Nixon joking about it. There's E. Howard Hunt laying out his whole scenario, naming names and, and saying who did it but and it's, Ron, why it's also they possible that Hunt, being he was always a propaganda guy his whole career, could have you know, put one last piece of misinformation out there. So that's possible. Of course. Of course, you know, but you have all these different people. You have that whole book that was written last year by Roger Stone. All right, all right. Would, it, would you feel better if I said we're, we're thinking about getting Roger Stone for the show? I would, I, would, <laughs> I would love it. The guy I'd really like you to get is Bill Moyers. Well, I mean, Bill Moyers know, was, Bill was, Moyers was Lyndon Johnson's guy. Bill Moyers, people don't realize this, but Bill Moyers, when, when Johnson became president, Bill Moyers was his bright 20-something young aide from Texas, who, uh, being he was such a bright guy, had a lot of power in the Johnson White House. He was sort of like the guy that would, you know, arrange meetings and, and, and see agendas got, uh, got uh, accomplished and that. But Bill Moyers has been very, very silent on the subject of what happened to JFK for all along, to this day. He will never talk about it 
probably because he has something he doesn't want to say. You know, I don't know. Well, I don't know. A deathbed <laughs> confession from Bill Moyers about what LBJ was up to would carry a lot of weight. I, I hope that... Uh, well, I mean, what happens after Johnson leaves the, the White House? He goes back down to Texas, and he, he has a psychiatrist, and he's kind of going crazy because I think he, once he was out of power, he realized... Actually, Ron, as far as I know, it's worse than that. When Johnson was in power, Bill Moyers was consulting with psychiatrists and concluded that, you know, if he wasn't president, he'd be in a straitjacket. Yeah, Moyers thought he was nuts. Well, had gone nuts while he was still president. Well, I, I, I have, I, I don't doubt that. And you know, one of the one of the films on there talks about has like these lawyers from Texas that lay out the whole thing. And this one guy says Lyndon Johnson has all these papers that no one has had access to, his psychiatrist papers and and. Uh, all these other papers at the law firm that was his lawyer. Yeah, they're were, not, they're not going to turn up at the LBJ library anytime soon. I know that. No, they're not going to turn up uh, at the LBJ <laughs> library. All right, you know, all right, you right, all right. You've convinced me. Why is it in the media? You can't. No one can say this. Uh, and we're saying that, it. You know, people think it's it's Lyndon Johnson. All right. All well, right. Lyndon well, Johnson is certainly a suspect. It's just that I guess here's the deal. The last time I went to one of these conferences, Dr. Gary Aguilar was there and, Dr. and Tink Thompson. I was sitting close to them, and, and I mentioned this topic about LBJ because they were talking about Alan Dulles and the CIA and a lot of other, you know, prime suspects. But I said, you know, the thing about Johnson is there's bound to be no paper trail with Johnson's involvement. So doesn't that mean that we're like the drunks out in the parking lot looking for the keys, not where they dropped them, but where the light's better under the lamp? I mean, it, it, everybody kind of laughed like, yeah, there is some truth to that. What about Billy Saul Estes? Billy Saul Estes was the, the agricultural commissioner down in Texas. Yes. Someone put out the, a list of all the people, all the murders that yes. Lyndon Johnson had been... Saul, according to Roger Stone's book, Saul Estes' lawyer came up with a list of all the people that had died at the hands of Johnson because he didn't want the Saul Estes scandal to touch him. And I do know that something like four or five... Texas agricultural commissioners that were looking into the case suddenly mysteriously committed suicide about the same time. So uh, it's uh, it's pr it's pretty uh, it's it is pretty suspicious. But there was this list that came. I remember when this list came out. I was I read it in the San Francisco Chronicle, and it had all these people on it. That, suspicious deaths associated with Johnson, and the last the last name on the list was, was JFK. John Kennedy. Exactly. All right. Well, Ron, you settle it. We're gonna we're gonna contact Roger Stone. We'll see if we can't bring him on to talk about his uh, his emphasis on the LBJ connection. All right, and you should you should see if you can get Bill Moyers too. We did, you know, we did have Mr. Moyers on the show uh, many many years ago, and, and I elected not to bring this topic up. <laughs> oh, you should have got it. You should have asked him after you had it in the can. Oh, you think? Well, you think he was gonna go? All right, you got me. All right, I mean, I'll tell you the whole story. Well, Walter Cronkite, you know, you're like the Grand Inquisitor, Doug. <laughs> I didn't have any gr grand questions for Walter, Uncle Walter. Are you kidding? Well, um, how about Rosemary Clooney? <laughs> We've never had her on, but 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 we'll work on that one too. But oh, who was it? Better. Carol Channing. <laughs> we did have Carol Channing, yes. Who just put in a big performance in the Bay Area? God love her. God love Carol Channing. I'm we, we are big fans of of Miss Channing on this show, and I'm sure you are too. I am. All right. Well, maybe we'll get her back on one day, too. Okay.
Well, thanks so much for giving me this airtime, Doug, to tell, the, to tell everybody where to look if they want to know who was responsible for the Kennedy assassination. Just go on YouTube and put in Johnson kills Kennedy. All right. It's all right there. I'm not, I'm not endorsing the theory that that's the whole ball of wax, but, uh, but I agree we should look into this further. All right, thanks. All right. All right, we have about two minutes left. Let's go out with the, the good news item, which we didn't get to in our first segment, and one from the miscellaneous file. The good news is that although about 25% of the world's coral reefs have disappeared in recent decades because of global warming and acidification of the oceans, marine biologists may have found a way to revive dying reefs. The biggest challenge facing coral conservationists is the repopulating reefs with coral from Onshore Nurseries works with only small, fast-growing corals. Reportedly, the large species that form most of the reef structure grow too slowly to be transplanted, but biologists at the Moat Tropical Research Lab in Key West have found that by planting tiny fragments of existing coral in seawater that's been cleaned of certain coral-harming elements, they can dramatically accelerate the growth process. This technique, known as micro-fragmenting, is producing encouraging results. More than a year after 150 colonies grown from microfragments were transferred to offshore test sites, 134 are flourishing. Boy, we wish him luck with that project. And final item, replays a joke we aired on this show, well, a little joke item from about 10 years ago, talking about how in certain bathrooms there's a sign, used to be a sign saying, we've installed these pollution-free electric hand dryers to protect you from the dangers of disease transmitted by towel litter, which caused me to think, you know, I, I, I did go to medical school, and, and I guess I must have missed that lecture on the diseases transmitted through towel litter. But new research shows it's actually much worse than that joke. A study at the University of England in Leeds examined the germ content found after drying your hands by several methods. They tested a jet air dryer, a warm air dryer, and paper towels. They measured the level of airborne bacteria in the surrounding air and found that the germ counts near jet air dryers were four and a half times higher than those near warm air dryers and 27 times higher than where paper towels were used. And yes, more than half the bacteria thrown up by the jet dryers stayed up in the air more than five minutes after the drying had ended. Said researcher Mark Wilcox, if you use an electric hand dryer, you may be splattered with bugs from other people's hands. And since you're in a bathroom, that might be a bad thing. Predictably, Dyson, the producer of jet air dryers, says the study used unrealistically high levels of bacteria and was funded by the paper towel industry. That about does it for the show. All right, our thanks to America's foremost political comic, Mr. Will Durst, KDBS amateur historian Jerry Drawhorn, Adam, a.k.a. Tummy Bumper, and our pal Ron Glick. This program was produced by Edward McMillan, and we will see you next week at the same time. This, of course, has been Radio Parallax. Radio Parallax.